So uh, welcome to New Energy Explainers. This is Tim Johnson from Johnson Energy Consulting. Our aim is to explain energy options to business people and managers of organisations in simple terms, uh, what they are and how they work. Today we are joined by Daniel Barber, the CEO and co-founder of DNA Energy. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, let's start at the very top. Um, what is demand management? So there's a few arms to demand management, but the short version is that it's controlling the amount of energy that's used in a building or your business for an operational or financial gain. Okay. Uh, and so you're talking, so what's the, what's the problem that you're solving really and who, who are you solving the problem for? Yeah, there's the, the problem that a lot of businesses face is that they have very high energy bills. Um, often I think businesses just pay the bills or they're happy going through a procurement process and they get the best deal they can. And that's often the best that they know how to do. But what they don't necessarily focus on is the you know, intra-month and intra-day and intra-hour and intra-five-minute problems that happen in the business that heavily impact the cost of their energy. There's also, um, as we transition the energy grid, there's a big ESG piece to consider, and customers can do much better on ESG outcomes and save money along the way by being smart around how they're energy is controlled when it's used and how it's used and demand management when it's done correctly and it's automated deals with a lot of those problems okay brilliant so in terms of just practical terms um how, how does it actually get set up i mean from from the moment the customer might call you and say hey let's do it what do you what's the process and what's the install summary yeah, so we spend a lot of time on scoping, and the scoping is really important. Every building's different. If you showed me five schools or five aged care sites or five quick service restaurants, they're each going to have their unique characteristics. And so we look at the business. We look at uh, what's called interval data, which is the historic view on how much power they've used for every trading period of the last mm -hmm. year. We look at what assets they have that might be controllable. Uh, so we focus on aircon and pumps, but really anything. They might have batteries, they might have hot water, they might have some other energy that's being used that can be controlled. We then design a system from the ground up. And so we say, hey, you've got these X number of assets. They each need to be controlled in this manner. And we use our wireless hardware and software solution tech stack to build a bespoke solution for that site. When that's done, um, it all becomes a site on a dashboard uh, that the client can see, so they can see what's going on, but really it's us that does the magic in the background. Um, and so um, a real benefit of it is that the customer doesn't really have to do much, and if they've got you know, one site or 50 sites or 100 sites, uh, it all appears on a nice dashboard and everything, just that magic kind of happens in the cloud. Yeah, okay, brilliant. I know the first time we met, you actually showed me one of your controllers um, and it immediately reminded me of an old cassette tape for viewers who are old enough to remember this. Um, so <laughs> talk, yeah, like what does it physically look like? What's the, what's the physical hardware? 
Yeah, really small, like fit in the palm of your hand, as you said, just like a set tape or a deck of cards, just that yeah. kind of size. Um, the, like, it, it, without getting into sort of engineering or geeky, the, the actual function of the device, which we would attach to what it's controlling, so we attach it to the aircon condenser or the battery or the pump mm-hmm. or whatever it is, is, is fairly basic in engineering terms. Um, you know, it has a controlled output. There's a variety of ways that we do that, and we, we interface with the asset itself and how it's supposed to be controlled. The real magic of what we do is the wireless piece. And so all our hardware devices operate on our proprietary wireless mesh network. Um, And what that means is we don't have to drill and cable point to point. And so most control systems, which is a real problem in demand management is people want to control stuff, but they don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, you know, and drilling cables and holes in their walls and conduits and shutdowns and permits and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so having these devices communicate around the building on our network, not theirs, is a bit of a game changer because it's a huge reduction, like up to up to 80% reduction in time and cost to deploy these pieces. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and so uh, let's say you've got um, a business with a fair amount of, of air conditioning or some controllable load. How much, uh, how much can you save your, your customers when it all works out? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a good value stacking of savings. Um, we tend to find that a lot of businesses generally run not that efficiently in terms of when things are operating. And so an example of that might be they have cleaners that come in at six in the morning, a couple of hours before mm-hmm. operation starts and everything just gets whacked on and you have a huge power spike in the morning and unnecessary load. Or you might find that things just get left on overnight. So there's a real saving there. You can save, you know, five, 10, 15% mm-hmm. energy just by being smarter about mm-hmm. when it's used. Um, there's then the demand piece. And so, you know, the, the classic demand, you know, the original demand management, which has evolved over the years, but the original demand management is just lopping off. It's called peak shaving. It's lopping off the high points that you use during the month. Um, and business owners out there that have demand charges will know how it really impacts their business. And there's, there's not, a, there's a perception that it can't be fixed or it can be fixed. And so just being smarter about say, Hey, you are peaking at X. How about we limit you to 80% of X and what, and what's that saving? Um, there's also an evolution of demand management that's called demand response, although they're, you know, they're, they're techie, uh, techie industry vernacular that, that, that should be called the same thing to be honest with you. But demand response is using less in response to energy market conditions. And so, for example, when the energy spot price is high, your energy retailer might pay you to use less at certain times. And demand management, dressed up as demand response, can do that for you as well. And so there's a there's an operational efficiency, there's a direct cost savings, and then there's a revenue opportunity yeah, as well. So uh, probably a pragmatic question, but if you're working in a building and it's got significant um, load shifting on the air conditioning, do you does it, does the building get warmer? Do people feel less comfortable, or how does that work out? No, it's a really important definition to make. Actually, um, most buildings are are pretty like, mm. thermally efficient, um, and you can do a lot more with aircon than the user might think. And um, we have a range of ways of dealing with that. Um, some of it's just good old fashioned mechanical engineering design around what's possible and what's not possible. Um, we also have um, environmental sensors, so we can stick them inside. They work mm-hmm. on our wireless network, so there's like cabling, and they measure real-time internal temperature, humidity, and CO2. Um, if the building also has some kind of building management system that has temperature sensors in it, um, the building management system's job is to make 
the building run efficiently. It's not, it's not, its job isn't to look at energy, but as part of that, it will have temperature sensors potentially. We can also hook into that and so we can get a read of that and so we can say, hey, we're going to operate your building and we're going to do the absolute best we can for you. But within these envelopes, you know, within these temperature okay, ranges, so or the customer can set the parameters they're happy with. Yeah, cool. Um, and so, what? If, sure? Obviously, when you a big part of what you do with any solar electricity generated is is store it in batteries. Does this system? Do these systems work with batteries? Yeah, for sure. There's a really good play there. Actually, there's a couple of things. Um, one of it is where there's just solar is what we call load shifting. And so um, let's use that example of the cleaners coming in at six in the morning and the solar is getting going at about 7.30. Maybe we can just put the brakes a bit on the aircon so more of it's used when the solar is generating and therefore it's free energy for the customer. Um, or towards the end of the day, we could do what's called pre-cooling. And so we think, hey, there's a, there's a bunch of solar happening. Let's smash the aircon now and cool it down just a couple of degrees so that when the solar drops off the cliff and it's still warm, you've just got that kind of residual cool in the building or residual, residual heat in the wintertime. Um, with batteries, there's a really strong play uh, in load shifting, but to augment that charge-discharge strategy. And so, for example, the battery, um, quite often the battery is told to turn on between, you know, 5 and 8 p.m. or 6 and 9 p.m. or something like that to deal with that, 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 that peak time in the evening. And our software can say, okay, so we can, you know, our algorithms are telling us we don't think the battery is going to have enough charge from the solar during the day because it's cloudy or whatever the conditions are. Maybe we can step off the gas on the aircon or the pumps to create more solar generation into the battery so the battery isn't mm. recharging during the day. It's only solar charging. Or maybe when the battery is discharging into the market to make money, maybe we can also drop some load. So there's an augmentation of that, again, of just okay. so but all this smart doesn't there. require any big boxes being installed. Um, I find that interesting. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, it's all part of your hand. Yeah, um, maybe the last one is um, uh, I'm thinking if I'm a business person, I'm thinking this sounds really interesting. Um, what do I need to have uh, a situation that's going to benefit from this or um, when is it going to be viable? I mean, uh, if I have – how big does a conditioning system need to be before it's really worth doing this? Yeah, it's about um, – it, it, the size of it is really important. Um, we found that um, – Lots of really, really small systems. So, for example, we've looked at like holiday parks and I've got, you know, 400 caravans or something in them or 400, 400 chalets. And, mm. you know, they've each got a really small aircon that you might have in your house. It's quite hard to make the numbers work on those. Um, but anyone who's got any kind of decent sized aircon, it, it, it's going to make some, there's going to be an angle somewhere to do better on it. We often find ourselves going into buildings and just looking for the bang for buck. And so there might be, 50 or 20 aircon units and we say you know what we're just going to do those ones and not the other ones because the, the, the business case works out best when we just optimize those ones um, and so it really is case by case but in, in typically speaking unless you've got just residential scale aircon in your building there'll yeah. somewhere be okay. an angle to do better yeah. brilliant okay um that's fantastic thank you very much for that i guess the last question i've got is is sort of your personal view on on the energy transition as we move to renewables obviously this is a fantastic part of that whole picture but how are you feeling about uh globally about the transition are you an optimist or a pessimist i'm an optimist for the sentiment but a pessimist for what's being done um we've spent a bit of time in the us recently scoping the market there and obviously over here and we've got an eye on southeast asia so we, we, we've got a reasonably informed view um yeah. I, I think that 
not even close enough being done, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if, if you believe the science, I think we're doing what we're currently doing. I, I think I think the rate of electric vehicle adoption is going to create some really big challenges. And there's a, a purist view that all the solar and all the batteries and all the EVs are going to be working at just the right time, that it's all going to work out great. I just, I just don't have that view, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be tougher than we think. I think that there's an enormous risk and opportunity that's been missed in trades. I, I think that governments knew five years ago that we were going to be here and the smart people in the room knew we were going to be here, but there was no investment in electrical trades and that's really hurting us now. And we haven't even really got going in the transition, to be honest with you, and, and it's hurting us. I just, mm. I just I can't see how there's physically going to be enough people to do it. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think the investment in there is great, but it needs to be mm. tenfold, and I think it needs to be taken much more seriously. And so, um, there's no doubt that it's happening, right? That that ship has sailed, whether it is or isn't. Um, but I feel we're just kind of not. I, I just feel it's not being done enough. I've I've got this horrible view that you know, until people are dying in the streets, how 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 seriously do Joe Public take it, really? Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I think there's a long a long way to go, and I think it's going to be a lot harder than people think it's going to be, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. I think it's it's Sorry, very hard to say. Sorry, the but I think it's reality. I, I, just, I just think, you know, people, yeah. I think a lot of people in the industry are high-fiving because targets have been set, but not enough is being done to think, okay, what's the reality of achieving those targets? How, how are we really going to do it? Um, just as a footnote there as well, Tim, I, I, it's not necessarily a popular view to have. Yeah. Um, but I think the whole concept of transition is sometimes missed huh. and you know, it's easy to be in, in the coal camp or the green camp, but the reality is that transition means that you have to be in both for some time, but you have yeah. to accept that to do the transition, there's going to be a period where we have a mix-up and the percentage of coal versus green might change over the years and it might swing one way than the other, yeah. but that is literally how transition works. You can't, yeah. you don't just switch one off and turn one on, and I just think that's adopting that view is quite important as well and I think that some people in the green industry are a little bit guilty sometimes of you know it's got to be all off now but it can't be all off now because that's going to cause problems yeah. so yeah, I just think a more pragmatic view is is, 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 is needed to be adopted sometimes yeah. no that's great great insight thanks very much um, I guess lastly if people are interested in finding out more about DNA Energy how, would, how should they contact you? Yeah, uh, www.dna.energy is pretty simple. Go. And um, tap us up. Yeah, yeah, pretty. Okay, well, look, we'll wind it up. That's uh, a fantastic couple of insights there. Um, thank you very much for your time, and uh, I'll see you again soon. Really, thanks, thanks. thanks.